0: Welcome back to the Why We Fight 1943 podcast, designed as a companion to the overall series of the same name. I'm Sasha, and joining me today is Dr. Sarah Myers. Dr. Myers is an assistant professor of history at Messiah University, which is in central Pennsylvania. And she is joining me today to talk about the Women's Air Force Service Pilots, or WASP. And I am so excited to have you here. Welcome to the Why We Fight 1943 podcast.
1: Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here.
0: Now, I only know a little bit about the WASP and what I know I've learned in the last few months researching for this year's series. I know they are somewhat connected to the wax, and I recently did a thread on Nancy Harkness' love, but that's about the extent of my knowledge. Can you tell us about these amazing women? Sure.
1: So the group that the program that became the WASP actually was from two different pilot programs that started early in the war. So to like backtrack a little bit, to give some context, in 1939, when the war is starting in Europe, there are these two, at the time, really famous female pilots who approach the government and Eleanor Roosevelt, actually, about the possibility of utilizing women pilots in some capacity. Uh, part of this is because these women pilots saw you know, how valuable this might be to a potential war effort if the U.S. joined the war. Um, a part of it also is because there was a civilian pilot training program that was a New Deal program that actually was covered in your like Tuskegee Airmen episode about how there was uh, one woman for every 10 men who were trained in this New Deal program from FDR. And so there were like a growing, there were going to be a growing number of like female pilots who were going to be trained. Originally in 1939, their requests were denied and they were told, you know, like the US government and military, we don't need women pilots. But Eleanor Roosevelt actually, in November 1939, published an article in a regular column. Um, It was a My Day column that was published in newspapers across the country. And in that article, she urged the US military to incorporate women pilots and said that, you know, women pilots are actually being used in Germany and in, you know, Russia, the Soviet Union. And so the US should consider using them. And she had this famous quote in there, Where she said that women pilots are a weapon waiting to be used, which I just really loved because she's like making this argument that women can be a part of, you know, the war effort too in this like really specific, non traditional way. And so what happens when you then fast forward is that in 1942, the at the time, Army Air Force, because it's under the umbrella of the Army, they create two women pilot programs. One is with the famous pilot, Nancy Parkness Love. The other is with the famous pilot, um, Jackie Cochran or Jacqueline Cochran. These are the two women who had approached the um, military and government in 1939 about the possibility of using pilots. So in September 1942, Nancy Love had the opportunity to create a program of 28 women pilots. It was called the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron or WAFS. They were like 28 very highly skilled, like seasoned pilots pilots who had hundreds, if not thousands of flying hours. And they actually didn't go through any military training, um, like the later WASP program did, um, because they were so like highly skilled. So they were given instructions on the different planes that they were flying, but they didn't have any other like training. Nancy, or so that's Nancy Harkness Love. So Jackie Cochran, her program was the WFTD, the Women's Flying Training Detachment. That program was used for women who had a lower number of flying hours, and those women were actually given Army Air Force official-like training, just like other male pilots in the Army Air Force would. Uh, Okay, so September 1942, there are these two separate women's pilot programs that start. They're declared, much like the Tuskegee Airmen, to be an experiment. General Henry Hap Arnold, actually, at the beginning of the war, when he's considering the use of female pilots, and even in 1942, when these programs are created, says, You know, I don't know if women have what it takes to be a military pilot um, because it takes like physical strength and it takes, you know, you know, skills and acumen. And, you know, it's a very offensive thing to say from the commanding general of the Army Air Force, but this is what he like openly says is like, this is an experiment and we don't know how it's going to go, basically. And so the the programs are then, you know, the, the women just like Tuskegee Airmen, like these Black pilots, they have to prove themselves and they consistently feel like they have to prove themselves for the duration of the war because they collectively talk about the fact that, like, if I make a mistake, everyone's going to be like, oh, well, that's just, you know, women pilots. They're, (laughs) you know, bad at driving, bad at flying, you know, like all these stereotypes that, you know, still exist. And so they, are like, I have to do my best. I don't want to wreck a government plane either. You know, like they take everything very seriously and are very professional about it. But they're declared a success in July, 1943. And this is when the programs merge under the umbrella of what becomes known as the Women Air Force Service Pilots or the WASP. So basically there's these like two programs, 1942, September. um, They merge in July, 1943 and become the WASP. Every woman that goes through this like merged program has to have army air force training And so she goes through the same like basic training as male pilots, except for combat. So they don't learn, most of them don't learn aerial combat maneuvers and things like that. Although there are some stories on an individual level that I found of women who said like, my instructor thought it'd be fun to teach me aerial combat maneuvers. And so we did that this afternoon, you know, but that's not officially what's supposed to be happening. So it's off the record. But beyond that, like you know, they're having, they're going through the same training. So they have like basic training. They go through, um, you know, ground school where you learn like all the basics, physics, navigation, et cetera, and then where you, you know, get your flying hours in flight school. And so you have a certain number of flying hours in different um, types of aircraft where you move from like primary to basic to advanced. And then after that is when you like graduate from the program.
0: So these women, they were not being trained as new pilots, right? These were all women who were already trained as civilian pilots to an extent.
1: Correct. They actually, the Army Air Force required that women who entered this program and applied for it had a certain number of flying hours. Uh, originally, it was 200 for the women in the WFTD and women in the WASP, but then they lowered the number for the WASP at a certain point in the war to 35 flying hours, because there just weren't enough women who'd accumulated that many hours yet. Because I mean, flying is really expensive. Even now getting flying lessons is crazy expensive. And so while the civilian pilot training program trained one woman for every 10 men, it still took time and money to accumulate flying hours. And so that's why they're like, we really... You know, need to lower the number from two hundred to thirty-five hours.
0: When I was doing uh, some research on Nancy Harkness Love and her first proposal to Hap Arnold, and he denied it, I, I read somewhere that he had denied it because he had already promised Jackie Cochran that he would only approve a program that commissioned the women into the AAF. Yes, is that
1: so? The pro—it's kind of complicated in the sense that. There's a couple things based on what you just said. So you have this factor of when these programs are created, they want them to eventually be military, but they're originally civilian because Congress actually has to pass a bill for every women's unit to approve them, which I can talk more about later. But then the other part of what you said is that Arnold in particular had close personal ties with Jacqueline Cochran, this, you know, famous woman pilot at the time, because she had married this uh, very wealthy man. Um, his name was Floyd Odlum, And he had a lot of like political and military connections. And so Jackie Cochran actually knew General Arnold, like personally, uh, she knew Eleanor Roosevelt personally, like she'd met both of the Roosevelt's. Um, and so Arnold had promised Jackie Cochran, like, yes, I if if I do a women's pilot program, you'll be like the first to know about it. And also I'll put you in charge. Nancy Harkness Love was just as equally like competent and qualified as a female pilot and as a leader. And so she actually had connections not as personal with arnold but with others who were in the army air force at the time and so she had talked to her connections and they had said like hey you know like we'll make this happen for you if we end up you know creating women pilot programs and so what happened was um general arnold actually had told jackie cochran about like why don't you experiment with this in the british air transport auxiliary so britain had this um pilot um Yeah, it was part of their Air Force, but it's like under the umbrella of their like pilot programs called the Air Transport Auxiliary. It was responsible for ferrying aircraft across the English Channel, you know, to different places where they were needed and also ferrying within Britain itself. And the Air Transport Auxiliary took pilots from all over the world, uh, male and female pilots. And so you have literally female pilots from every continent that came to Britain to fly for them. And so Jackie Cochran took a group of American women pilots. Pilots to Britain to fly with air transport auxiliary. Those women were really successful. And while she was over there, the media announced that Nancy Harkness Love was starting this like program of the WAFs is what they're known as, but the Women's Auxiliary Ferrying Squadron. And Cochrane's like, I'm sorry, what? And you know, contacts Arnold, because this is also her personality. She was one of the she's one of those people who knows what she wants and goes after it and she's also really professional and she loves her career as a pilot and so she's like I was Promise this thing like what is happening so she contacts arnold and it's basically just like sort of this behind the scenes mess a little bit where different people are promised different things by different individuals and so both programs start within days of each other and arnold basically is like you know come back to the u.s from britain and like we're gonna start your program and so yeah the media announced the WAFs though and Cochrane was really offended so
0: <laughs> did they um I mean, did they have a, a relationship, Jackie and, and Nancy? Were they able to... I mean, they there were no hard feelings over this, I hope.
1: So they had a relationship before even the war because... Just there were so few women pilots at the time, even though women were making really great strides in the field of aviation and like, you know, air races, things like that. Um, they knew of each other, but they weren't like close friends or anything like that. Like um, Jackie Cochran was closer friends with the famous Amelia Earhart than she was with Nancy Harkness Love, actually. But Nancy Harkness Love and Jackie Cochran had very different Personalities. Nancy Harkness Love was not so much interested in the media or like hyping her women pilots. She was more of a like professional in the sense that she wanted to keep her head down and be like, you know, this group of 28 women that I have, I want them to be like successful. Whereas Jackie Cochran wanted as many women pilots as possible as could be trained during the war. And so she wanted to use the media and, you know, kind of like what now people talk about with like social media, like her Instagram personalities or something. I would say Jacqueline Jacqueline Cochran's more along those lines where she's like, I want to use every resource possible to advertise this program and advertise what women are doing whereas Nancy Harkness Love is like, I didn't even want to do interviews with the media. And so they have these very different personalities that like clashed at different times, but more behind the scenes. So neither one wanted the media to really know about how they honestly didn't really get along super well because of just their different goals and their different kind of like takes on what they thought that their women pilot program should be they eventually love is actually working under Cochrane cuz Cochrane's named the director of the program but they're operating more as just like separate entities where they cross paths sometimes but don't really interact with each other a lot and i i think they're they're both just like different people and so i don't really blame this as like i you know it's hard to tell from the records because nancy harkness love did very few interviews with the media she didn't leave a lot of records behind about like her personal hot takes on Cochrane because she wanted to be professional and Cochrane would sometimes speak off the cuff and say something and then later you know rescind it and it's like oh she kind of was just talking in the heat of the moment and so yeah so they like get along but honestly kind of just like avoid each other a little bit too so yeah I was going to say, I did want to give like numbers of pilots just so that people might know, because like there's over 350,000 American women that serve in the US military during World War II. And this is the first time that the military is incorporating women into every branch of the military. And of that, like, you know, a little over 350,000, there's only 1100 that are in the WASP. So you have like 1074 who graduate from Army Air Force training, and then you have the 28 WAFs. And so that's like, you know, together 1,102 female pilots serving with the military. And that you could add 11 onto that potentially, because there were 11 women who lost their lives during training
0: flying training incidents?
1: Yeah. So this the women, that rate of casualty is actually the same as um, male pilots because flying during World War II was still honestly like precarious in a lot of ways. We were developing such advanced technologies in aviation and very quickly too. um, You have that as a factor for people dying on the home front, like male and female pilots um, from accidents. Um, They have the WASP and male pilots have the same rate of accidents. Um, Again, like these things could be anything from pilot error to the weather to something wrong with their plane that hadn't been noticed by the mechanics, whatever. Um, But during training, there were an equivalent number of um, male pilots who died during training because it's just, it's dangerous. And there are like all sorts of things that can go wrong operating planes basically.
0: Equivalent in terms of like the ratio. The ratio. Yeah. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. So the the Army Air Force, because they viewed the WASP as an experiment, they literally like published final reports where they're like, okay, 11 trainees, you know, out of this many, because there were a larger number of women who reported for training, but only 1074 graduated. So they take the number of women who were in training, even if they failed, and then take 11, you know, divided by that. And then for the male pilots, they did the same thing, where they take the total number of male pilots who entered training, how many died during training, and then that number is their, like, percentage. And I don't remember those percentages. Those are, like, buried in my research somewhere. But those numbers, um, they... Report in um, Jackie Cochran's like final report to the Army Air Force that here's the stats on the Wasp, and then the Army Air Force publishes an official report about pilots during the war, and in that they say that it was like an equivalent percentage.
0: Now we're a little early with this story, but I wanted to do this episode for March since it's Women's History Month, and hopefully I'll get it released for March 8th, which is International Women's Day. But the Wasp don't actually form until the summer of 1943, right? Correct, July. And do they run throughout the war?
1: So that's a great question. They are shut down on December 20th, 1944. So, you know, this is like a little more than eight months or a little less than eight months before the war ends. The reason has to do with the fact that when Congress voted on the women's military units, whether or not to give them, grant them military status, they you know, went through all the other branches, literally. And the WASP, the Army Air Force, was the last women's unit to go before Congress. They went before Congress in 1944 with this military bill and Congress voted no to not grant the women pilots uh, military status. What that means uh, in terms of like practical implications is that if you don't have military status as a woman during World War II, it means that you don't have access to, um, after the war, like the GI Bill, you don't have access to military benefits, right? Like with um, reduced rates and loans or education or whatever. But also during the war and after the war, you don't have access to medical benefits. So for the WASP, when they're serving, they're entirely organized as though they're going to be military. They take the oath to the United States. They go through basic training, everything, all the training is equivalent except for combat. They're issued dog tags. They're stationed on over 120 bases across the continental United States. Uh, they serve alongside men in the Air Force. They have to follow the same rules as Army Air Force male officers, but the WASP do not have a rank because they're considered civilian. So even though they're f- like following the same Army Air Force regulations, they are not considered to be military. And honestly, like Arnold thought that that was just a matter of time that eventually that would happen. And then it doesn't happen. And so when Congress votes to not grant the WASP military status, the Army Air Force makes the executive decision to shut down the program. And that's when it's shut down in December 20th, 1944. And so the women are then told, you know, to figure out how to get home on their own. Uh, For the women that are in like, You know, being civilian over military is a really big deal because if you are just a civilian and there's any sort of like accident you have in your aircraft and you're injured or you get sick because some women caught sicknesses from men, actually, that they like flew ferried in their planes and things like that. They with different like things that men had brought from overseas, even with them. There's yeah, different stories about that. Those women had to use their civilian insurance. So just civilian insurance companies, they, um, when they died, it was their, um, civilian life insurance plans. If they had a life insurance plan, they were not allowed to have a military funeral. They were not allowed to have military honors at their funeral service. They were technically not supposed to have a military escort, you know, to take the body home. But what happens is there's a little bit of gray area there because Jackie Cochran, for some of these women who die, especially those trainees, she wanted them to have a military escort home. And so she had assigned a wasp to escort the body home. That's technically not supposed to happen because they're civilian. I did find some examples of some small towns where when the women's bodies were brought back to their hometown, The hometown decided to give them a military funeral, even though they weren't supposed to. But officially, because they're civilian and not military, they definitely can't be inurned or um, buried at any federal or government
0: cemeteries. It's really tragic. So Jackie Cochran didn't get rank either. Correct. She fought to get these programs and she didn't, she still didn't get the rank.
1: Yep. She was literally just a director of a program. That's like her title. It's it's really crazy because they even had sent a significant number of women to officer training school hmm. in Florida, actually, in Orlando. And the, because they thought they were going to be commissioned, right? But then the program, because of Congress not passing the bill, then they never, it was, yeah, it's just crazy because they had literally, some of them, not all of them had gone through officer training school. And yet, oh. yeah, no, they officially do get military status, but it's in 1970. 77. So it's a thousand years later. <laughs> and when they get it, you know, there's only so many that are still living and they, they do have access to military benefits and military funeral. They can be, you know, interned or interned at military cemeteries. So for example, there have been wasp interned at Arlington national cemetery, although that was actually contested in 2016. So it's a, it's like a complicated story, but I will tell you her name because I interviewed her and her granddaughter is wonderful. So I'm going to like sure. drop both their names here. So the wasp name is Elaine Harmon. Her uh, maiden name like so during the war was um, Danforth. Um, so Elaine Danforth Harmon. I had interviewed her back in 2012 and she had told me that she was really excited about being interred at Arlington National Cemetery, that she was really proud of her service for her country. And she, just like many other wasps that I either talked to or read about, or heard from said that like she was really devastated at the end of the war um, when they were just like told to go home one day uh, and so she said I wanted to be like a, a military pilot I wanted to have a career um, and so she's this is reflective of many of the other women as well. And so she was like, I'm I'm excited to be interned there. And I was like, oh, that's great, you know, whatever. And we keep talking about other things. And then later I read in the news that Arlington National Cemetery is now closed to the WASP because the um, Army, there was an Army memo that was issued about how they're running out of space in the internment walls. And so they were now no longer going to allow certain units from various theaters, wars, et cetera, to no longer be unearned. And the Wasp was listed as one of them. This memo is actually available online if anyone wants to read it or look it up. You just Google um, Army Memo 2016 Arlington
0: National Cemetery. I'll look it up and I'll put it in the a link in the description to the episode so that people can find it. I can it. send you a link too. Yeah, no, that would be great. Yeah.
1: And so basically what had happened in the, the news that I was reading was it said that Elaine Harmon's family had tried to have her intern there. They'd found out about this army memo that they didn't know about. And now her family was like, you know, fighting this basically. And so I talked to her daughter, Terry Harmon, and her granddaughter, Erin Miller. They both live in like the... and. They both either live or have networks in like the DC, Maryland like area. And so Erin Miller in particular, um, she's an attorney and she had talked with, um, you know, different people about like, what do I need to do like practically here, right? To get my grandma to be an earned where she wanted to be an et cetera. And what she was told is you have different options. You can either sue directly based on just this one example, you know, of your grandma and potentially get the right for your grandma to be an earned there. But just keep in mind that like future wasp would not be allowed to be an earned, right. It would just be for her case. And Aaron Miller's like, well, that's not good enough. Right. Cause like we want all wasp to like have this privilege again, still, which like makes me emotional talking about it because it's just, it's crazy.
0: It's the same spirit as Nancy Nancy Harkness Love and Jackie um, Cochran. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Because you're literally like cherry picking or deciding who is a veteran and who's not, right? And what is your veteran's service or status based on? Is it based on your like sex, your orientation, your like the type of service, if you were in combat or if you were not? Like, and so that just seems like a really slippery slope essentially to determine. And so Aaron Miller actually leads this campaign with Congress and she actually gets several big name congressional representatives to be a part of this like campaign and they win. And it's actually one of the few bills that is passed um, unanimously in Congress, which we all know never happens. (laughs) And so you're like, this was kind of an obvious choice to allow the wasp to be in earned again at Arlington. And so um, more than a year after she passed away um, Elaine Danforth Harmon was interned at Arlington National Cemetery and they had a military funeral for her. That's like a really beautiful but also really intense story because the wasps are told they're, you know, civilian during the war. They're not given any sort of military status till 1977. Uh, and then Again, like later they're having to fight or contest again to prove that they're veteran. Because in 1977, the only reason that they got military status then was because the WASPs themselves led a fight in Congress. So they like started petitions and organized themselves in this campaign to try to fight for military status, partially because there were women admitted for the first time into service academies. And some of those women, like those in the Navy, were going to be flying military aircraft, potentially, trained as pilots. And so U.S. national media headlines said, these are the first women to fly military aircraft for the United States. And the WASP were like, I'm sorry, what? (laughs) And so this is when they actually get the help of some unique individuals. Um, One of them is General Hap Arnold's son, Bruce Arnold. Bruce Arnold knew that his dad had wanted to militarize the WASP. And so he's like, yeah, I'll help you. And then the other really interesting individual is Senator Barry Goldwater. And he's interesting because Senator Goldwater was opposed to admitting women to the service academies. Um, he was opposed to women serving in combat. There's there's a lot of roles that he didn't want women to hold in the military, but he was stationed alongside the WASP at a base in Delaware during the war and said, Oh, yeah, these women were definitely military. They were wearing military uniforms. And they had dog tags and they'd done the same training I had. And we both served in Delaware. And so he's like, obviously, these women get military status. So even though he doesn't fight for women in all these other ways in the military, he's like, yeah, obviously. Like, and so so they lead this fight. And that was not a unanimous decision that led to the 1977 signing of the bill. Uh, that was like a very hard fight to prove their military status. Mm -hmm. And there were organizations like the National American Legion. I say emphasize the national part because regional American legions, a lot of them were like, oh, yeah, we support you. Um, But the national one said this will forever change the definition of the term veteran. And it's going to like denigrate the term if we incorporate the WASP. Thanks. You're like, yeah, cool. It seems. Thanks for that. This is, that's the testimony given in Congress from the American Legion.
0: And it's, it's like in the, the Tuskegee Airmen episode of the series that I did with Dr. Angela Riotto. the fact that these women had to fight for their status at the time. And then, you know, 30 years later, they have to fight again. And then another uh, 40, what is that 40, 50 years later, they have to fight again, just for something that they they really shouldn't have had to fight for. It's it. It's yeah. both like frustrating and infuriating, and like even I am like, okay, don't get emotional about this because as a woman, I'm like, no, absolutely not. I'm I'm like, let's go charge through walls. You know, it's like <laughs> these women. These women should not have to fight this hard. Look at what they did. Yeah, same. In 1977, when they got that status, some of them had already passed. Uh, Nancy Harkness Love had passed a year prior. Yeah, It's heartbreaking to think that, you know, she fought so hard and then, you know, she dies 30 years later and just oh, yeah. a little bit shy of them getting the status that yep. she had wanted. Yep. Yep.
1: I know. It's really heartbreaking and is honestly a part of what pulled me into the project is because I was like, I'm sorry, what? Why is this the only women's unit that's not getting veteran status or military benefits and then veteran status. Like, I don't, I don't understand, like, Mm -hmm. especially for them, because they're the ones even that are doing like the most literal, like basic definition of what's in the military, right? Because they're literally doing what male pilots are doing. Whereas while women in other branches are doing things that men are also doing, like about 90% of their work is what's in the realm of like um, traditional right or what's considered to be traditional for women which again like these are jobs that men held as well but for the wasp it's like they're literally just pilots like is shouldn't this be obvious they're like organized and yeah so i was just like really and i was also really blown away too because there's 11 trainees that die but then there's also 27 women who die in accidents um you know during the war so there's 38 women in total who die as part of this program who don't get recognition until 1977 Right. So it's just, yeah, it's just really devastating and right, um, confusing. And and I make arguments about the reason why I think that Congress voted no for them, because, again, this is the last women's unit to go up. So you'd think they'd just vote yes, like they did with all the other units, mm-hmm. um, is because there at the time, it, there's some there's some unfortunate timing things happening for them in 1944, which revolve around the civilian pilot training program being shut down. Um, those instructors are now eligible for the draft. And so they argue that women are taking their jobs and that what the WASP are doing, they can do. The Army Air Force testifies to Congress and says, that's not true. These men are ineligible because of their age, because of their eyesight. Like all the, there's many factors actually that make them ineligible, but also we've spent all this taxpayer money training the WASP. Even Secretary of War Henry Stimson gets involved and is like, please, grant the women military status because they're obviously military. Mm -hmm. um, But they choose not Congress chooses not to listen to top air force officials or Henry Stimson or all these other individuals. Um, They also talk about how there's this Hollywood movie that came out in 1944 called ladies courageous. That movie portrayed women pilots who basically were more concerned with their love interests and flirting than they were with flying. And again, Hollywood movie. And so Congress is like, um, I think this is what the women are really doing. And so they talk about there's in the congressional record, they're talking about a Hollywood movie as a reason, again, to not grant women. Military.
0: That's like the 1944 equivalent of, well, I read it on the internet, so it must yes. be true. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's exactly it.
1: I was really baffled. I was like, surely they're not. Yep, they are. That's what we're doing <laughs> right now. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I'm
0: so mm-hmm. like, it's like second hand, hand to anger. I'm like, so yeah. <laughs> Wow.
1: It's just, it's wild.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, it
1: also like fits into, you know, like larger arguments about women in World War II because it's like these fears that the American public has about like our gender roles changing and women in, in these new roles, what does that mean? And so this fear of women assuming jobs that are meant for men is just like, you know, yeah. panic
0: and inducing. It's funny. Do you, do you know the uh, the British comedian Al Murray? I don't. Have you ever seen him? Uh-huh. He does this. He do, and I'll probably take this out. So he has a podcast too with with a uh, historian, um, James Holland. Okay. Uh, but Elmerie has this this skit that he does all the time where he's like the pub lord, where he's like a. a The manager of a British pub. And when he talks to the audience, he'll tell women, he's like, what do you do? Keep in mind that the only appropriate job is uh, secretary or nurse. You know, it's like those kinds of things. It's just so insulting, but it's like, it's meant to be that way. But um, it was, I just did a thread on the flight nurses and how, when they initially started being flight nurses, when we created, when the army created this program for the army nurse corps, where they could go to this school to become flight nurses that uh, most of these women didn't have, um, they had relative rank. They didn't even have like real rank at the time.
1: Yeah. And then
0: it was like later that they would actually be commissioned and get a proper rank. But until that point it's like, it was just kind of thing. And it was just, I can't, I, I can't imagine. I, I cannot imagine going through all of this training and just dedicating yourself to this in a wartime because you have this higher calling because they could only be mm-hmm. volunteers. And we, all women had to be volunteers anyway because they weren't eligible for the draft. But it's um the fact that we see these women who had this higher calling and they wanted to contribute and do their part. Yeah. And the, the amount of struggle that they had to go through just, just to get any kind of recognition. And even after the fact, it's incredible.
1: Yeah, because the it also has important ramifications for like other women in the American public too. Because women are literally excluded from flying military aircraft from 1944 through the 1970s, because that's when women are like trained again by the Navy, et cetera, you have this like gap in women um, having access to that as a, as a military career. But also when we enter jet aviation, you can't, you're not eligible to try for jet aviation either. And so then when space flight becomes a thing, women are ineligible for that because they don't have jet experience and they obviously don't have jet experience. And so it's just like this domino effect of having an impact on women's like military and professional careers. And even just more broadly in the field of aviation because after the war women actually some of the wasp go to commercial airlines and are like hey you know got a lot of pilot training and experience i've flown this many different types of aircraft from the military and the commercial airlines tell them like oh you know like you can be a flight attendant like here's the application for that because the american public's not ready for you yet so
0: it's like um though all the women that fill the workforce right? The labor force at home here, like the home front issues. And then I did a, a couple of threads on it last year where it was uh, free a man to fight. Yeah. You know, it's like you step up and you do this job, these men's jobs, you fill these men's yeah. jobs so that those men can go to war because you're not going to go to war. And so they do. And some of these women, they they love having that purpose. And then the war ends and it's like, all right, you know, you got to go because this is a man's job no thank you, (laughs) you know, no appreciation for that, but it's just like, just go home, you're done. And it's not unlike, I mean, it's obviously different, but it's not completely different from the African-American service members who they go overseas during the war and they fight for uh, freedom and justice and, you know, basic human rights. Mm -hmm. And then, well, I mean, every, every theater, and then they come home and they've got to fight for themselves in this country and it's like the the struggle that we put people through is just amazing but it it also shows how much progress we have made and where we still have to make have room for uh, room for improvement.
1: Yeah, I agree with you completely on both progress that's been made but also room for improvement. And especially for women pilots in both commercial aviation and military aviation, they're still the minority by far because they've been at such a dis- you know, disadvantage for so long and having access to that and like even like representation matters too right where there aren't even famous women pilots again or even famous women in aviation to like the 1990s even then like i think you might find this interesting because i once had a journalist ask me it was for like a veterans day thing right so they're asking about oh women in the military in world war ii and they said tell us the names of could you give us the names of maybe like you know a handful like maybe five famous female veterans and it doesn't have to be world war ii that you think all americans would know their names and i sat there for a second and i said i can i can name some for you but i don't know that the average american could just pull the names of five female veterans let alone maybe even one the name you know and so this is also something that like in terms of not just recognition but also representation because representation matters in terms of your like
0: potential future career,
1: right? Like you might not think of being a pilot because you've never seen a female pilot or whatever, even though it's 2023.
0: Yeah. I look back, I mean, I'm in my 40s now, but I I remember being a child looking at these different professions and thinking, I don't see any women. So that's like, it wasn't, it was a conscious thought, but it wasn't something that I actually vocalized and and made like, you know, oh, I'm not going to shape my whole career around this, my whole life around this. But I remember thinking, I don't see any women. That's not a job for me. And I remember, like, I distinctly remember having these thoughts about different career fields, because it's like, should I be interested in this? Oh that's interesting but it doesn't look like a job that women are allowed to do.
1: It's all a lot. Like even when you're making the distinction of combat arms it's like, you know, women had fought in combat as early as the American Revolution. So it's like, yeah, it's all just like devastating the yeah. the impact that all these like little decisions have had on
0: on it's, uh, all women, right? Like can I ask you and I would like to talk about your book that's coming out. What actually sparked that? Cuz I remember when I when I first yeah. this is my third year-long history series and the first one I remember um, I was reading a book and it was 2020 so right we're half of the time we're working from home and I I saw in this book a mention of the 1941 GHQ maneuvers and I was like I don't know anything about those so I started to research and that ended up that research ended up like snowballing into what became the first uh, year-long series that I ran which was in 2021 but it was just like one line in a book that had no other information on it. And I just went nuts with the research. I was just curious, what sparked your interest with the WASP?
1: So I was, mine actually goes all the way back to my undergraduate degree. We were supposed to be picking projects for like our senior papers. And I was very lost. I like, I was a really good student and everything, but like, I just was like, I'm at a loss for what topic to do because picking a topic is hard and I'm struggling. Mm -hmm. And I had just done this random like Google search. And I found this website that later I found out um, it's Wings Across America. And it was started by the daughter of one of the wasp at the time i just stumbled across the the website i didn't think about who would created it or anything and it had like primary sources about the the women air force service pilots and it said if you click here you can email a wasp and i was like well that's really cool like i can email a woman pilot from world war ii because this is the first i'm even hearing about this like i didn't know women flew during world war ii in the u.s anyway and so i'm like looking this up and like i email so i let you know like I click the button to email Wasp and whatever else. And um, some of them email me back and I like am reading through their stories and talking to them via email and... I find out about how they they don't have military status, but yet 38 of them, you know, died and don't have military honors. And then I just feel like sort of some sort of righteous anger about it, right, where I'm like confused and, and like angry on their behalf. And then I also learned about like, the different jobs that they performed during the war, which I wanted to like, I'll emphasize a couple of them here, because yeah, please, these also like sparked my interest. Um, So one of them was they a major thing they did, which is what the original like women's auxiliary ferrying squadron did and Mm -hmm. same thing with the flying training detachment. They ferried planes. So they would take planes from factories to bases, right? Like where they need to go. Um but then they also did like really dangerous work. So they towed targets. So there would be targets attached by cable to the back of planes. They would fly the same pattern repeatedly in the air, just like back and forth. Because male cadets on the ground would practice Mm -hmm. anti-aircraft artillery, shooting at the targets. So that's why you had to be extremely precise about your altitude um, and the pattern that you were flying. They also had male com, uh, sorry, male pilots practice combat maneuvers and shooting at the targets. And so they would put colored casings over mm-hmm. the anti-aircraft artillery and over the the bullets from guns, so they knew like, oh, these, you know, the blue people they did great today right they hit the target but the red did not like we need to work on some things there's literally live ammunition being shot at targets that women are flying in the air and men did the same job but what's crazy about it is that male pilots i found all these like interviews with the media and um other like records basically in the army air force with memos and things like that where male pilots say Once before this, male pilots hold this job and don't complain about it. But after women start flying as towing targets, they say like that these jobs are chores because you fly the same. They literally use the language of chores because you're flying the same pattern repetitively and that this is tedious work and that they would, quite frankly, rather die in combat somewhere than on the home front. So it's like, wait, it's chores, but yet you don't want to die doing it, like I'm confused. And so basically like
0: as soon as women can do it, it becomes oh well if women can do it, it must be some chore that I you know. Mm -hmm. It's like housework. (laughs) Yes.
1: In no way is live ammunition shooting at a target somewhere Like, sure, sure, sir. Yeah. And this is multiple men, so this isn't like one, but but yeah, and so they do that. And then going along with what you just said, uh there are several planes, um, including like the B-29, the B-26, these bomber aircraft that have early technical difficulties in their like stages of development so when they first come out some of them are called like a widow maker because they they're literally developing engine fires right like the b-29 things like that and some test pilots die like some male test pilots die like you know in these early experiments but eventually they work out the kinks and the engines don't set on fire anymore yay like but what happens is there are male pilots who say like i don't want to be trained to fly this in this widow maker, right? Because, like, I don't want to also die. And you say the engine fire problem is fixed, but, like, should I really believe you? And so the Army Air Force actually asks Paul Tibbetts, the famous uh, colonel who will eventually drop the first bomb on Japan in, you know, 1945 in August. And uh, they say, like, hey, do you have any ideas about how we could get male pilots to fly? We need a morale booster. What are your, What are your thoughts? He thinks about it, comes back, and says, like, why don't we just have women fly it? And so literally he ha- he trains two women, two of the WASP, to Dora, Dora Doherty Struther and Dorothea Johnson-Mormon and has them fly demonstrations, as they're called, into these Air Force bases. And as soon as the women, you know, get out of the plane and they see, oh, a woman flew it, then the men all of a sudden, Tibbetts says, there's no morale problem. So they'll just be like, oh, yeah, it must be easy to fly because these women just did it. So we got this. And so they literally use women to like yeah
0: it's fine it's like it's like i'm happy that these women were able to do these things mm-hmm. but at the same yeah. time i am insulted mm-hmm. by every yeah. part of this history <laughs> so, yeah. um, so a lot of a lot of the wasp i imagine if not all of them are gone now right
1: Yeah, so not all of them are gone, but like almost all of them. Um, I actually don't have a current number anymore, because there's the place where they trained during the war um, in Sweetwater, Texas, there is a wasp museum there. And I actually used to go to their annual reunions um, in Sweetwater at this museum, um, because I would, you know, make a lot of connections with female pilots, like interview and things like that. But I haven't gone to that reunion in a number of years and they've you know been struggling to even find wasps who are able to like travel down there anymore and they used to report and say like oh you know there's still like 300 wasps left there's still 200 whatever but the numbers have dwindled so much that I'm not even sure of the current number but if I was to guess I would say probably like less than 100. 20 if we're lucky yeah because okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah the youngest they could be at this point I haven't done the math in a while but would be like upper 90s if not lower to 100s, because of when, because you know, if you go with 1944, um, and you go with, a, if you were, let's say you were 18 in 1944, how old would you be now? This this is a math problem. Here, hang on, I'm gonna do the
0: math real fast. 98. Okay, okay. so nine that would be like uh, the youngest, 97, you right? Because 40, yeah, because it's 80 years to 1943. Cause I, I am keeping an 80 year pace <laughs> and by doing it uh, at that pace, like it forces me to look at everything that happens throughout the year. And I'm sure I miss a lot of things, but it's um, it keeps me from looking too far ahead and just focusing on the things that I'm already familiar with. So that's why like, I like learning these other stories, but um, mm-hmm. if they were 18, then, then it would be 97, which is nice. pretty old. Yeah. yeah. So, yep. but I mean, so that's, that's how, like the youngest. Yeah, that's how yeah, time it works. Yeah, it's wild. Mm-hmm. So I, I yeah. imagine none will see will see these series on Twitter and social media. But I hope that by sharing their stories, we're we're able to get some at least some of the audience. We we can teach them something new if they didn't already know, or we can you know give people another way of connecting with this history because it's very important.
1: It is very important. And like the strides that all women in the military made during World War Two is really important because women are, you know, eventually very quickly going to be permanently integrated into the military. Mm -hmm. Um, And so this is sort of like a grand experiment of sorts that really like how experimental is it, you know, like... Yeah, in terms of women's capabilities. But because the other women who are like officially the first in the military, they're from World War One, The Army Signal Corps, mm-hmm. um, they actually get their military status on the same bill as my WASP in 1977. Oh, really? Um, so those women, yeah. And that's women who are in the Army Signal Corps. I forget the exact number, but there's like over 200 of them that serve with the Army. And they're officially granted military status and veterans benefits. So they're like... The first women in like US history who are on military status, obviously women serve in the military in many capacities in, in all the previous wars, but since the
0: beginning of time. Yes.
1: yes. <laughs> and since the beginning of time as well. Yes. Right, no, This is when they're official. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um- So uh,
0: does your your book covers the history?
1: It does. So I actually look at the early days of aviation at the beginning of my book because a lot of male and female pilots during World War II say that the reason that they became pilots was because of barnstormers. So barnstormers were those early um, 1920s, 1930s pilots that would fly into rural areas, introduce people to an airplane in real life right because they haven't even seen an airplane fly overhead they've heard about them but Mm -hmm. you know they haven't experienced it Um, and also 1910s too um, 1910s 20s 30s and so i talk about like how they inspired the wasp but also how some of the, the wasp and especially like nancy harkness love and others were barnstormers actually back in the day too and so how this connects with larger histories of women in aviation and then i look at the wasp program like their training their assignments on military bases how a lot of these women wanted to be taken seriously as professionals. They wanted to be pilots, but they also wanted to be military and that that's like unique to this moment in history. And then I look at how, you know, after the war, they scramble and struggle to try to find aviation jobs and just really most of them can't do it. Um, because of availability and, you know, sexism against them. And so then I look at how they organized and fight for their right for veteran status. And I take it up through Elaine Harmon, actually, and the fight at Arlington National Cemetery and how women even today talk about how. So when the wasps were fighting for veteran status in the 1960s, there was one wasp in particular, Bird Howell Granger, who collected questionnaires from as many WASPs as she could find because she was trying to collect as much data for Congress as possible to show them, hey, we're military. And so in these records, which are at an archive at Texas Woman's University, I was reading through them and this one WASP said, like, I never flew an airplane that asked me if I was a Mr. or a Mrs. or a Ms., So I just loved. And so she's like, I, you know, I wanted to be military. And then it got taken away from me. And I don't understand why, basically, right? Because I did the same thing male pilots did. And like, yeah. And I also like it because she's using the language of women's liberation, right? Because Ms. is like a new title that's um, available for women and things like that. Mm-hmm. But you then see pilots uh, in the like 2010s. I, f- I found this one female pilot. She didn't say that exact thing, obviously, but she said something very similar where a, a journalist was asking her questions that are very typical that are asked of women who have very public careers of some kind, whether politicians or in the military or whatever. And this is an Air Force pilot who's talking to the journalist. And the journalist, you know, is asking her about like things about her, like, you know, are you going to be a mom and a wife and, you know, like things like this, um, which is, you know, very common for a a lot of women to be asked about this. And um, one of the things she's asked is like, what do you think about the fact that you're like a woman, you know, and flying these fighter jets and whatever, right? Like, And she says like, I've never, like, stepped into a plane and had the plane, like, you know, think about my sex. Like, what does this have to do with anything, basically? Like, she it, she words it more eloquently than that. But I loved that quote so much because I was like, this is such an echo, which is depressing because it's 2010s, 1944, and it's like an echo of the same thing where these women are just like, I'm stepping into an airplane. Like, what difference does it matter what my sex is? Like, I... Am competent in flying and professional and military.
0: Like, shouldn't that be enough? It should. It should. And maybe one day it will. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's amazing to me that eighty years. I mean, so to even two thousand ten, but now we're eighty years later. We are still putting a lot of attention on when women do things that are military. And I look forward to. I hope it's in my lifetime. I look forward to the day when it's just an officer and or just a pilot and not a female pilot yes. and not a female officer. You know, it's, yes. I love that there are people still doing firsts, but at the, because that's amazing progress. But at the same time, I look forward to when it's just the norm. Yes,
1: me too. And I think that, you know, I'm sure you've experienced the same, like when we talk to a female uh, or like when we talk to service members, mm-hmm. just more broadly, lots of them talk about this, like emphasis that's placed on women doing the, you know, something for the first time, whatever. And lots of the women who are participating in this first time, whatever it might be, right? Whether it was like Rangers, like, you know, eight years ago, whatever, that they're like, it would be, it'll be nice when there's not an emphasis placed on us. And it's just, oh, they're like you said, there were some Rangers, right? Not like there was a female Ranger. And I mean, even it just happened with the Super Bowl, right? Um, Because there was the first like all female flyover. And so again, it's like, Yeah, sure. Because, you know, representation matters and things like that. But it will be nice when someday it's just like ubiquitous that it's like better pilots. And yeah, yeah, that we don't have to distinguish or make a big deal out of it. And it's just normalized. Like, yeah, it feels like should have been a while ago,
0: at least 80 years ago.
1: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yep.
0: The wasp would agree. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I don't know that you want this information, but I did think I would mention it. So I'll just tack it on here. And you can do with it if you want to. But when World War Two is starting in Europe um, in the 1930s. You know, there are women who are incorporated um, starting in 1939 in a lot of like countries around the world. So Britain had their air transport auxiliary, but also there were female pilots in Germany and female pilots mm-hmm. in Romania and and in the Soviet Union. So there were women like flying in all these different countries um, in like different roles and women in the Soviet union are the only ones that were flying in combat there and in large numbers too. So yeah, they also like fight in combat too, like with snipers and tank battalions and things like that. But I just thought I'd mention that like it's happening in other countries, but same thing happens with other countries where at the end of the war, it's like, you understood this was temporary, right? And the women are all like, so
0: yeah. (laughs) Thanks. Go home. You're no longer needed. Yeah, yeah.
1: You were like, I, I argue that like, so there's this philosopher named Kelly Oliver who talks about um weapon. She has a book that's called Weapons of War, and she talks about how women are often described or used as weapons of war because they are used. So a weapon is something that's like temporary, right? Because you're using it and then it's destroyed, basically, or whatever, or um it's damaged in some way, etc. And so she says like. Uh, women are used as weapons of war in that they're used when they're needed and then they're discarded when they're not. And so I'm like, this is very much the story of women pilots during World War II. They were weapons of war. Yeah. Much as Eleanor Roosevelt in her My Day column said, weapon, you know, women pilots are a weapon waiting to be used. I'm like, yes. And also then they're treated as such at the end of the war, too.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, um, and even those that don't go into service, it's it's also kind of the same mentality for the women that go into the labor force. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly.
1: Yes. And especially yep. for those women in labor force that are in like the higher skilled jobs that are like, they're like, I'm making a living wage for the first time. And then, you know, men return to the like industry jobs and they're demoted back to the entry level work that's lower skilled and then they're no longer making a living wage or
0: yeah. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to do this episode and um, and share this really important story about the wasp and these women. And I am really looking forward to when your book comes out later this year. And uh, I will definitely make sure that I share that with the Why We Fight 1943 audience so that maybe they can learn about the wasp too. Thank you.
1: I appreciate that. And I really enjoy talking with you today. My book will be out with UNC Press in the fall catalog, and it'll be called Earning Their Wings.
0: And thank you all for joining us today. Just a reminder that any views and opinions expressed are those of the speakers and do not reflect any official stances of the U.S. Army, the Combined Arms Center, the Center of Military History, the DoD, Messiah University, or UNC Press, or any other organization associated with me, my guests, or this series. Be sure to check out the Why We Fight 1943 series content on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, as well as this podcast, all of which will run throughout the year. Until next time, M.O.T. out.